to our first podcast of Reed Scholars Live. I am your host and current president of Reed Scholars. Reed Scholars is composed of physicians, dentists, and mental health specialists committed to collective action to achieve health equity. If you are listening, I am assuming that you are aware of the health inequities present in this country and globally. The purpose of this podcast is not to identify or discuss health disparities, but rather to have conversations with leaders in health equities with leaders in health equity on innovative solutions to narrow the gap. With that being said, let's talk health equity. Today's guest is friend and colleague, Pia Hansen. Pia hails from Beaumont, Texas, but her career has taken her to multiple regions of the U.S. Hi, Pia, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody, I'm glad to be here, thank you. So let's start off with, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are and what you're doing now? Sure. So um, right now, I'm actually cur- currently um, in Beaumont, Texas, where I hail from. <laughs> um, I've come in for the weekend just to enjoy some family time over the holiday and get a little bit of reprieve. Um, when I'm not in Beaumont, I actually travel extensively for work um, and for fun. Um, I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana a few years ago to take a position with the state Medicaid agency as chief of quality and uh, resigned that position to start my own consulting firm. Um, So I had an opportunity to work virtually, and since I was already comfortable in Baton Rouge, I decided to stay. Um, But the work that I'm doing is pretty much on a national level right now with um, um, public health and specifically maternal and child health. And so I get an opportunity to work with a few nonprofits and um, academic institutions on um, public health programming and evaluation, and then also some uh, policy analysis as well. So take us back a little bit, Pia. How did you initially get interested in the health equity conversation? Where, where did this come from or how did this evolve in your, your personal career? Wow, so, okay, that's interesting. I would say it started actually from, from childhood Um, my, so my dad is a practicing physician as was his father and his father, um, was the first black practicing physician in Nacogdoches, Texas. Um, at that time, because of segregation, he saw patients out of his home. So when we were little, you know, visiting our grandparents, we got a chance to, uh, go pretty much just play in his office actually, which was kind of fun because it was attached right there to the house. Um, And then that was when I learned about um, the fact that folks that were low income had to um, travel to his home to see him because they weren't allowed or didn't have the money to go and get the standard services that everybody else or the majority were able to receive. And I also learned that most of the patients that he saw, um, he was really compassionate for them. Many of them, most of them actually could not pay. Um, and so he would see most of his patients for free um, or they would, you know, barter different services so that they would, you know, bring food or clothes or what have you. Um, so I think that's where I was first introduced to the fact that, you know, some people get treated differently um, in the health space than others. And then a few years after that, um, there was um, a colleague of my dad's actually who they practiced together briefly um, 
he was a also uh, an OB, an obstetrician and, and gynecologist in Texas. And the way he set his schedule up was that he was in the office Monday through Thursday and then out on Fridays. But Tuesdays were the days that were set aside for his Medicaid patients. So he would see all of his um, self-pay or private insurance patients on, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, but everyone who was Medicaid had to come in on a Tuesday. Um, and they did not get the um, same attention that the patients that were seen on the other days um, would get. Um, and he would he would joke a little bit about um, you know the way that they carried themselves or their knowledge, um, um, and I could tell it it wasn't right. Of course, you know uh, I couldn't do anything about it, um, but at that time I also recognized that what he was doing was just not fair, um, and it surprised me. You know he was he was a black man, um, and he for him I think it wasn't necessarily a race thing. I think it was a class thing. Um, and so he, he did definitely treat folks that had less. Um, he did treat them less than. Um, and so again, in my spirit, I know I was like, this, this isn't right. I don't know really what to do about it, but this isn't right. And so then um, the first opportunity that I had to actually do something about it came when uh, I went and got my first master's, my master's of public health from Meharry. I was there in Nashville and also had the opportunity to work at the public health department um, as a program specialist in the Bureau of Family, Youth, and Infant Health um, under a um, phenomenal woman who's actually um, very well known in the maternal child health and health equity space, Dr. Kim White Etheridge. Um, and so she had a program that she had charged me with implementing across the state of Tennessee which was essentially working with college students at historically black colleges and universities throughout the state to implement programs on their campuses that would help to ensure better health throughout their communities, especially in impoverished areas. And so it was really nice to work with the students to think about some of the disparities that were happening in their own communities um, and to develop creative programs that would help to address those disparities. And I think working with her kind of lit a fire in me. Um, and um, I became more, more passionate about the subject and then began seeking additional opportunities to actually work on um, health equity issues. And so after leaving Nashville, I found myself um, in DC working at a national level. So it was really nice to take what I had learned kind of at the, the local and state level there in Tennessee yeah. and expand it nationally. Um, and that was a really exciting time because I think this is around the time when, when maybe the federal government started putting a lot more money into health equity. I think this is maybe around the time where we were actually naming health equity. I think there were people that were doing this work for a long time, but not necessarily using that specific terminology. Um, and so it was really exciting to work with a lot of the state maternal and child health uh, departments and um, their partners in the Medicaid agencies to think about the programs that they could develop and then implement and evaluate to actually um, address equity. Um, and so I think I would say that, that, that that's how I got interested where it started from. And then it just kind of exploded 
um, from there. And so now I still get an opportunity to work pretty much at a national level to helping uh, help states um, and nonprofits uh, and some of their coalitions to think through some of the, the initiatives that they can implement to address equity. Probably a very long-winded way of answering this question. All right. <laughs> no, that's quite all right. I, I mean, I definitely appreciate you sharing the personal story because I think it makes it real and um, it, it highlights a different aspect of health equity, um, not necessarily from an outsider looking in, but just definitely looking through child's eyes and you really see um, how that makes people feel mm -hmm. in real time and how it can influence your career going forward. So I definitely appreciate that. And clearly it seems natural that you grew up to work in maternal child health, right? Um, and you've mentioned you've worked in multiple capacities for the DC government. I know you've worked for nonprofits like AMCHIP, you've worked mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Chief of Quality for Medicaid in Louisiana, and now you're on to teaching and consulting. So I wanted to ask you, um, are, are there any big takeaways that you specifically learned from working in those capacities? Or, you know, is one level different, better, worse, if you will, for addressing health equity? Um, just any big learning points or things you've taken away from the different uh, perspectives? Wow, that is a great question. Um, You know, I would say the I think I I I had an amazing impact at a local level. Um and that surprises me actually that that I'm saying that now looking back on it because you think, you know, that it's at the national level or the federal level where some of the policies are developed that then the states have to implement um or perhaps it's at the state level where some of the policies, you know, are enforced down to the local level. But I would say that in my experience, being so high up when you're kind of at that um, state level or at that federal level, there can be so, um, so many checks and balances that it can be hard to actually do the work, um, especially when it comes in, in terms of you know, reporting and evaluating how we're going to see the impact of the work that we do. A lot of times we get so busy with that piece that we actually don't really have time to focus on the work. But in my experience, I would say that the local at the local level, it's sheltered just a bit from kind of that bureaucracy. And so you I, I at least was really able to kind of delve in and design programs that I knew would be effective. I had a little bit more freedom and autonomy to do that and then actually get into the community and implement the programs um, much faster than what I've seen at a state or at a um, federal level. And kind of along with that, I would also say that, um, so I teach on the side, which you, which you mentioned, I teach women's health at George Mason University, which is in Fairfax, Virginia, right outside of DC. Um, and in um, part of my curriculum, we talk a lot about equity and I, I, design um, programs, or excuse me, uh, design um, um, practicums where the students have to do something that's related to health equity. And a lot of these students are first-generation American, um, which actually surprised me there in, in that particular area. Um, 
but it's the first time that they have really had an opportunity to think about um, health equity and what it means. Um, and so it's really nice to actually kind of, you know, get their, their neurons firing, if you will, about like, what, what does this mean exactly? Like, and what do we have the power to do about it? And then, um, you know, I've got little fun little, well, I call them fun. The students probably don't think they're fun. <laughs> but, but I also, you know, design little case studies for them to work on where, you know, if they're a director of a health department or the director of a program at a local health department and they have pretty much no money, um, I charge them with designing programs that will address health equity in their communities and, and allow them some creativity to think through like how they would address it. Um, and from that space, I really do come from the perspective that I want them to be cognizant of it and be thinking about it because they don't know where their careers are going to take them. Um, and I really want them to um, challenge themselves a little bit to think more creatively um, because potentially, you know, they could find themselves in a position of influence one day down the line to actually do something about it. So it's really rewarding to be the one to um, start that conversation with them. Um, so I would say, yeah, so the, so the, so the big aha moment or big takeaways I've had were in my experience, at least working more on an individual level with my students and then working at a local level with local health departments and local programs has really been a much more, um, impactful with actually like moving the conversation forward and actually moving the needle. Um, it's interesting because, there's been a lot of talk about equity, um, especially with some of the, you know, the public health serving associations or, or institutions and everyone is, is talking about equity. And I feel like they've been talking about equity, you know, probably since way before I was even born. Um, but I do struggle to, to see the impact that many of those conversations have actually had. Um, and, and I do think that if you empower more local agencies to actually do the work, that we would probably see a little bit more advancement. And I'm really glad you brought that part up. But, um, you know, two things. One, naming health equity early on in, in training um, and exposing students to that as early as possible um, and not waiting till you get to, you know, deciding you want to do public health or uh, another healthcare career, right? Because health equity is really important, no matter what your career is. You know, as in, in even the basic things when we talk about health literacy, which a lot of people don't um, have the the knowledge base to truly interact with their providers of of any level on a on a truly informed basis. So, I appreciate that, and I think that's a very important, um, a very important statement to make. Um, I wanted to narrow in just a little bit um, on maternal child health since that is, is your, more of your focus. And I'm going to ask you even a, a more challenging question than the last one. Um, and <laughs> that can, do you think you could name um, one of the biggest rewards in the field, but also one of the biggest struggles in the field over the years, over the past years, or since you don't have to go back to the beginning of time, but um, in your personal career, do you think we've made any big gains in maternal child health as far as health equity is concerned? And what do you think our biggest um, roadblock is right now in the field? Um, those are, those are, those are tough. You're right. You're right. 
Um, okay, off the top of my head, I would honestly say some of some of my biggest rewards have been. Um, that's interesting because this is completely going to contradict what I just said. Is <laughs> <laughs> has actually been more at a national level. So, um, as part of my responsibilities, I also have the privilege to serve as a federal grant reviewer for HRSA, um, specifically in their maternal and child. Um, health bureau, um, and so I've, I've actually been working with with them on several projects over over many many years. But one of the things that I appreciate um, the most is being able to serve as a block grant reviewer for the Title V block grant, which is a maternal and child health block grant. So these are are federal funds that are distributed to every single state and um, territory every year, and so they. Every state will make an application and they'll talk about their their programs, what they're doing, how they're being implemented, how they're being evaluated. And um, and then I get an opportunity to meet with some of the states to talk a little bit about what's working well and what their opportunities for improvement are. Um, and this is important because this is information that Congress uses, you know, to determine um, the funding that they're going to allow a lot for these programs. Um, and so when I get an opportunity to meet individually with the state maternal and child health directors, because I've worked at a national level for so long, um, and because I am very well versed in the programs and policies that are happening across the U.S., I also get a really amazing opportunity to make recommendations based on my knowledge of what's working in other states and communities. Um, and so for me personally, that's been a really big reward because if I have someone in one particular state that's struggling to implement a program and they don't quite know where to turn, it's been really gratifying to say, well, actually, I know that these other states dealt with the exact same thing and this is how they handled it. And so my recommendation to you would be to you know, reach out to this person you know, the, the, here's where they work or reach out to that person. Here's where they work and then have a conversation about what they did so that you don't have to spend a lot more time or money or, you know, your staff's time actually figuring out what your solution for this is. And then because of my position as the grant reviewer, I also get to make the recommendation to the HRSA um, staff that have technical assistance funds that are available to connect states. So I get a chance to make the recommendation to the staff to actually utilize those funds to connect the states together. So in case somebody wants to you know, travel to XYZ state to meet with these directors to talk about these programs in person or actually see how they work in person, then that, they can actually make that happen. And so I know it sounds like a small thing because I can't say, you know, well, I instituted this one particular program that, you know, impacted maternal mortality by this much over this particular point in time. But the fact that at a national level, I can connect state directors so that they can help make their programs more effective and more efficient and better utilize our taxpayer dollars, right? So these are federal resources. Then for me, I have to say like that is a huge reward. And and as hard as it can be to actually get through all of the state applications and you know, think of the the very articulate and smart things that I want to say to them. <laughs> it's really gratifying to actually give them tangible action items that they can walk away with, that they can use immediately, mm-hmm. 
that are actually going to make an impact in their programs. Um, and I can't tell you how many folks email me back or even text me back to thank me because they did have an opportunity to connect um, and actually make some gains. And um, so some of the examples of the initiatives that they have been working on have been um, increasing breastfeeding rates, reducing maternal mortality, um, increasing safe sleep practices, um, and then also making grants or how to most effectively make grants to local health departments, um, because most state entities, actually, it's a lot harder than you would think because the local folks aren't really in a place where they're able to receive those funds. Um, so it's been really gratifying to be a part of that. Uh, I'm much more of a behind the scenes person, and that fits, I think, very well with my personality of being able to um, help impact things behind the scenes. So that would be the biggest reward. Um, the biggest struggle I would say over the years um, is, is probably, um, again, I think coming from a national or federal perspective, probably the, the funding. Um, because every year we're asking everybody to do more, but with less. And so um, they're burned out, their staff, is burned out, um, but there's so much that needs to be done and they feel uh, really passionate about the projects that they're working on, um, but they really just don't have the resources to be able to make the change that they want to make um, because the funding just keeps getting cut. Um, and I honestly don't know if that that may just be our new norm, actually, is just figuring out how to do more with less and do it more creatively um, so that you can try to achieve your outcomes. But the biggest struggle from my perspective is is, is definitely related to the funding. Well, and that actually makes a lot of sense to me, right? So you say you like the impact that's given on a local level. And so by working as a federal grant reviewer, you are empowering the local level to, to get these things done and also connecting them to amplify um, their impact. So, I mean, I think that makes total sense to me and, and doesn't contradict what you said before at all. Uh, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and, and funding, of course, is going to be an ongoing battle um, and you know, with with funds um, connected, if you will, in such a way that the ebb and flow um, changes um, every few years. Um, you know, I, I think that will be a challenge. And it, it also brings me to my next question, interestingly enough, because um, I know you as an individual, have recently also branched out in kind of the, the real estate space, right? And um, I know that, you know, from a health equity perspective, we know that place matters and yeah. where you live and where you work and how you get from where you live to where you work. All of those things are very important um, and influence our, our health outcomes. And I know that part of your reason for getting into the real estate space was to provide safe and affordable housing um, for families and so that they that would be one less thing to be worried about in their day-to-day -day life, trying to take Absolutely. care of their family, their children, and their, um, their parents, if you will. So my question is, where do you think social entrepreneurship um, lies in the health equity conversation? Um, I know that's kind of a tough question, but 
<laughs> um, you know, and, and, and you can just talk about, I mean, even if you just kind of want to talk about what led you to want to do that. I mean, because that's a very individual thing um, where you are now, but it, it has implications on a much broader level on how we, you know, we as a country, as a, as a, as a, uh, globally, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of shared um, space, you know, and, and shared resources and crowdfunding and all these type things. So, you know, are we going to move away from looking for these big federal dollars to fund, to fund these projects, or are we going to move into a more, you know, crowd sharing space? But if it hasn't helped equity spin, are we going to help level the playing field, if you will? Um, but anyway, you can share your thoughts on on any or all of that. Okay, so yes, I, I would have to say first and foremost, it, it comes back to your why. So why are you doing what you're doing? Um, for me, everything that I do, be it at a, a local level, a state level, or a national level, is all about making this world a better place than um, than than it currently is. So so it took me a while to come up with my why, but I do know that my why is to serve. Like I get very clearly now that that's the purpose and, you know, why God put me here. Um, and so so I do that, you know, on, on multiple levels. On, on a local level, I, I volunteer with um, a Christian organization that works with um, homeless men and women and then also returning citizens to get them employment and housing so that they can... Um, hopefully get to a point where they can provide for themselves and their, their families and, you know, just have some restored dignity. Um, at, you know, the state and the national level, I also get a chance to, to do that with a lot of the programs that, that I help to um, develop or, or refine and implement and then um, evaluate. Um, and I also feel like I do that with my students also, because I get an opportunity to not only share my, my love of public health and knowledge of maternal and child health, but help them think about how that's going to impact their own careers, but then also, you know, their own health as well. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of my why. And so I recognized um, a few years ago that um, I wanted to also be able to be impactful on an individual level. And if I had been blessed with the resources um, to actually help some of these families in need, then I wanted to to just try and see what happened, right? So it could not be successful, but that was a chance I was willing to take, but I was also gonna work really hard to try to make it successful. Um, so you're right, so I, so I started purchasing properties um, and my goal really was to purchase properties for families in need. So this started right after the, there was a big flood in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana in 2016, many families were displaced um, and the housing that they found was really not um, habitable, honestly. So the families were just living in, in many deplorable conditions. Um, and I thought, you know, just because, you know, these folks don't are living in poverty, that doesn't mean that they um, should be living less than. And so I found um, really nice properties in safe, stable neighborhoods. And my thinking was that if I could put families in need um, in those housing, in those con in those homes, um, and take care of their housing, then perhaps then they had the freedom to actually focus on some of their other hierarchy of needs, right? So you know, food or education or or um, 
employment or what have you. So, so that was, that was my why. And so I didn't do it for the money. Um, for me, you know, the money is nice, but that wasn't my why. Um, and so if I made money, great, but if I was actually able to, to help a family, then that was really the only, um, payment that I actually needed because I knew that that was, that was more in line with what God's will was for me. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I, I would love to see, and I, I, I admit I haven't done my due diligence with the research, but I would love to see us get to a point where we're actually able to fund more folks that are trying to do something similar genuinely to just help families get a leg up and, and, um, kind of provide some sort of stepping stone for them to be able to achieve whatever success looks like in their mind for their family. So, um, so I hadn't quite thought of like, um, uh, of like crowdfunding, but, but that's an excellent idea, Mary. I think you should start that. Um, but it would be nice, you know, with, with like-minded folks, you know, that perhaps do have, um, you know, my, my expertise with, um, with grant funding or, or grant management um, to figure out how we could pull resources to be able to support um, these folks um, and then do it in a way where, um, where they're, you know, I don't, I don't know if, where maybe it's just, I don't know, free or just given to them, or they, maybe they don't have to pay or they have to pay a, a small amount. Um, but I, but I think there is, there is definitely a need for more social entrepreneurship. And then, um, but I also think a lot of it is going to have to come back to the why, because if folks are in it to make money, which it, you know, it seems like if you're looking at social media nowadays, that's what everybody is talking about. Everything is just about making more, working less, what have you. Um, so if that's why you're in it, I don't know if that, if that would necessarily work, but the folks that are out there that are, you know, kind of the do-gooders like me, <laughs> I do think there, there is an opportunity for us to figure out how to come together and pull all of our, um, intelligence and creativity and resources, um, to actually make some, um, housing or, um, I don't know. I don't know what else that would, would look like, but housing or jobs actually available to some of these families, just because honestly, it's the right thing to do opposed to just checking off a, a checkbox or, you know, meeting some, um, federal goal that, you know, they say that you have to meet. It would be nice to figure out how to do that, um, just for the sake of, of doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, so once you get that started, let me know. I'll, I'll be happy to join. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, uh, I, I do appreciate you bringing us to a close on an inspirational and positive note. Um, I, I, again, I appreciate you sharing your story and your motivation and your why. And that kind of helps. I mean, I think especially in the health equity space, we know this is a challenging space. We know this is a constant uphill battle. Um, and it, it can be uh, overwhelming at times because change does come very slow. And so I think it was a very important point to go back to, you know, what gets you up? What gets you going every day? Why do you keep going um, when you could, you know, very well go do something different? 
um, mm -hmm. without with, with less stress and, and more reward. So um, I appreciate that very much. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to talk with us today. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to give us any parting words or any advice um, that you might want to give our colleagues out there who may be entering the space or trying to maintain in the space um, before we before we disconnect. Um, you know what? One one piece of advice that I that I I learned on my own. I wish I had known much sooner that I would give to everyone is actually to find a good mentor. Mm. Um, I don't know if it was just the community that I grew up in that wasn't really a thing, um, or if I don't really honestly feel like I hear a lot of Black people talk about having mentors. And I don't know if it's because it's seen as a sign of weakness, like actually having to ask somebody for help or advice. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was in um, grad school, actually for my first master's and, and actually in, in my 30s, that I actually found a mentor. And that changed everything for me because it made me more focused on what I was doing and why I was doing it, and then helped me to ensure that my actions were actually in line with what I said I wanted to do. Um, and I, I, I had never, I'd never really had that before. I heard people talking about it, but I didn't quite know what it meant. Um, but it was having someone there who was who forced me to be accountable to myself. Um, and then also, you know, forced me to be accountable to them also, <laughs> True, true. Um, but who could also um, make recommendations or suggestions for things I might want to read or conferences I might want to attend or people, other people that I might want to talk to that were um, kind of in line with my own trajectory just to kind of help propel me. Um, and so I would say if w whatever space you're, you're entering in, and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, public health provider or practitioner, or, you know, if you work on the policy side or the admin side of the program side or, um, what have you, but I would say if you can try to find a mentor or someone who's doing what you think you want to do, and then see if they would be available just to help guide you. Um, because it really is a game changer and it makes your role so much more rewarding. So I think that's about it. I think that is a great place to leave it. And um, I want to thank everybody to listening to Read Scholars Live. Let's talk health equity. Stay tuned for our next show. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you.